from the Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Well, very pleasant uh, good afternoon to you. We didn't have a morning show this morning, so I had a leisurely morning here. Uh, this didn't happen. Uh, I was going to come on, and then I had a bad hair day, as you can see I always do, so I just didn't say no. Just kidding. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, we are going to have a good show for you right now. You're going to meet Christine Massey in just one momento. Take care of a little business here. It is the, uh, what is it, the 8th of March, 2023, and this is com. And we hang out here, do shows Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, take Thursdays off to work on a little screenplays. And uh, 15 years we've been doing this, um, as of Monday, 15 years on this particular show. And uh, we started in broadcasting in 68 in Armed Forces Radio, playing Frank Sinatra records in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. I'll tell you about that someday. We are doing a kind of special thing uh, beginning, beginning on Monday on our 15th anniversary. Over the last two, three, four months, we've experienced a really drop in our sales. And that's how we, that's how we make our living, is we sell products and we don't charge for commercials. We just um, promote products that we really like. We have some, I think, some of the best in the world. Literally, saunas and hydrogen and sulfur and um, uh, soot rival, all kinds of really great companies. And so we get a commission when there's a sale. And so our numbers are up. We haven't, you know, we haven't lost a, a people, a bunch of people or anything. I am crazy, so that'll happen, you know, because I'm pretty out there. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, our sales, you know, the last two, three months, and I don't know what it is, and uh, I never want to put my fortunes into something else and say, well, it's the economy, and there's a million podcasts. I don't do that. I just say to myself, self, well, I created this situation. Christ, I create everything, right? So I'm going to get creative and, uh, and uh, help, uh, you know, with your help, get my work, work our way out of this cash flow uh, little challenge that we have. So we have a GoFundMe sort of thing. We didn't do GoFundMe because of all the nasty stuff they did up in Canada. But we have a FundMe platform and we need to raise about $4,000 to take us onward to April 1st and make sure we recovered all of our expenses of doing the show and paying people. And, um, and then we're going to, along those two months, we're going to figure out what's going on if we have to reboot or retool or change my name to Nicole Kidman or whatever I'll need to do to, to, <laughs> to, to get more sales. Again, so, and you know, it could, who knows? But anyway, so if you'd like to help, you can go on the front page of One Radio Network. You'll see the link there. Click on that puppy and, uh, and send us whatever you'd like if you care to help. And we'll raise a few bucks here, a little cash flow. It happens in business, cash flow. Cash flow challenges. Okay, so that's out of the way. Here we go. We were introduced by Christine Massey through our friend Steve Falconer uh, about a month ago. And he told me all about uh, Christine, and she does some really cool things. And she has been out there exposing the fraudulent, um, the fraud of virology, much like many of the people we've talked to, of the Cowans and the Kaufmans and the Vollmers and old Mark and Sam Bailey and Stones and all of these people and John Paul, uh, 
Paul John Lando, and um, there's a lot of them out there. And she's been uh, doing this for quite some time, and she's taken a little bit different approach to it, and we'll talk to her about that and what she's up to. Uh, but it's an educational thing, and and uh, so we're going to say hi to Christine Massey. Miss Christine. Hello. 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 Hi, Patrick. Hi, Patrick. <laughs> nice to meet you. You look great. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? I'm doing well. And you live in Canada. That's correct, yeah. Close to Toronto. Yeah. Yeah, all my life. Yeah, oh, good. We heard about the GoFundMe thing and the truckers up there, and that's why we wouldn't, didn't want to use GoFundMe for a yeah, little, for a little thing. That were, yeah, I said, well, that's silly. That company shouldn't have done that, right? Did they take right. the money no, away from was... the, cupper, the, the the truckers? I've lost track. I'm not sure where that situation stands right now. I, I don't pay a lot of attention to the news anymore, so I'm <laughs> kind of out of the loop. Good for you. <laughs> Good for you. So your your website, uh, it's just interesting. It is fluoridefreepeel.ca. What does peel mean? Free peel. Peel, peel. I the town I'm in, it's in the region of Peel. Ah. So yeah, and it, it's the region of Peel. In 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 my community, we we actually have a, an extra layer of government. We have the you know federal, provincial, municipal, but we have a, like sort of an extra municipal layer, and they're the ones that actually fluoridate the water. So that's why it's fluoride free peel because our goal is to, um, well, there's naturally occurring fluoride as well. So it would probably never be fluoride free, but at least uh, we'd like them to stop adding fluoride to our drinking water. So, yeah, it's pretty rough stuff, hey, Christine? Yeah, it, it's ridiculous. It's literally hazardous waste from the phosphate fertilizer industry contaminated with ha- uh, arsenic and lead and other nasty things. Hmm. So hmm. you would think it should be a no-brainer to stop, but you know how it is. The public health people have their agenda, right? Yeah. So, so they think in a different way. My dear, could I get you to move your camera a little bit to your uh, political um, left? No, the other way. Sure. The other way, the other way. Oh, the other way. Yeah, I, I, I guess wanna, you're you're looking at the. Uh, yeah, I want to get you more in the center. Okay, that looks good. There. The Can you leave okay. it there? So, sure. I know that there's people in Austin. We live about an hour outside of Austin, Texas, and they've been working on the fluoride stuff for years, and that they don't make a lot of headway. Is that kind of um, reflective of what going on? What's going on around the United States and Canada and the world, where people want to get rid I, of this fluoride, but they don't want to get rid of it it's yeah it's very challenging i mean um and I'm, I'm not really in the loop anymore because once the fake covid started i i turned my attention towards that but yeah, yeah basically um and the water fluoridation began i believe it was in the 40s somewhere around there and in the united states and there was people opposing it always yeah. from the beginning and it's very difficult and i've had colleagues you know in my community and there was even a lady who has done a huge amount of work and had an expert come over from India 
and she launched a lawsuit um, that's on pause right now because there's a lawsuit going on in the U.S. I don't know if you know about that, but no, the, no. the EPA is being, yeah, the EPA is being sued. So that's been an ongoing uh, lawsuit for, I guess, a couple of years now. And um, yeah, the, there's a group called the Floyd Action Network. Yes, I've seen that. They are, and there's uh, Food and Water Watch are involved in it. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, and there's been you know delays, and the the government keeps trying to. I, I don't know much about legalities, but they keep trying to interfere and interrupt and yeah. stall yeah. and yeah. get it thrown out. Just a just big picture before we move to to virus. Um, over the years, what have you learned? What are the what are the things that fluoride does to the body, just for people that don't know our listeners? Oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, for starters, it actually damages the teeth, which is the one body part that it's supposed it's to help. It's supposed to help, right. And they don't have, they've never done a randomized controlled study to see if fluoridated water is actually effective. They just, it's always been a great experiment. And, but it actually damages the teeth. And there's something called dental fluorosis that's very common in the US because you guys have a lot of fluoridated areas. And so, what um, dental fluorosis does is um, in the mild cases, it causes white spots on the teeth. Mm-hmm. And then, moderate, you start getting the brown spots. And then, in the more severe cases, you can actually get pitting. It demineral, it um, hypomineralizes the teeth. If I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it can actually cause black stains on the teeth. And so that was actually how they, (laughs) it sounds so ridiculous. Um, The way they got the idea to fluoridate the water was they noticed in the United States that some areas people had black spots on their teeth. And then they also noticed that, well, those people have fewer cavities. So maybe we should add it to the drinking water. Which is completely ridiculous, right? But that's what they did. Yeah. And then they, they, you know, deny, deny, deny. It's just like with uh, the fake COVID, any, any evidence that you show them to, to try to make clear that what you're doing is actually hurting people. It's, you know, you're talking to a brick wall. Yeah, that's cool. But it actually, it damages the thyroid. Um, the mm-hmm. brain is one of the most mm-hmm. significant areas of concern. Um, the bones, it, fluoride gets stored in various body parts. Um, yeah, it's it seems to affect different people in different ways, and it's associated with harm to many parts of the body. Yes, ma'am. So, and, it's, and it actually puts these minerals on, that's the spot, so it's actually depositing things on the teeth, different chemicals that are causing spots, black or white. Yeah, it's the uh, the fluoride itself that causes the the hypomineralization. Yeah, mm. so it's it's crazy. I mean, any anybody should be able to see. And one of the issues that they have, like, okay, so cavities are relatively cheap to fill and deal with, but the dental fluorosis that is caused by fluoride it's actually much more expensive to fix. So, uh, and the dental associations promote water fluoridation and um in canada we have um, one of the best known experts who speaks out against fluoridation is dr hardy lineback and he has talked about how dentists essentially they make more money if the water is fluoridated Hmm. because the dental fluorosis is so costly to try to fix interesting when Mm -hmm. like i live out in the country and and I, i guess lots of groundwater um has some fluoride kind of natural kind of fluoride in the 
in the water. Does that harm people right. who drink it? Do you know? Uh, to my understanding, yeah. Like um, <laughs> fluoride, that's the naturally occurring is calcium fluoride. Yes. And that is the, that's the mineral. And so often when they're promoting water fluoridation, you'll hear them say that um, fluoride is a naturally occurring mineral. I'm trying to get myself more in the middle for okay. you again. Sorry. There you go. That looks good. Um, yeah. Yeah, so they, but what they add to the drinking water is a completely different chemical. And um, sorry, I just blanked out on what your question I, was. I was wondering if the, the calcium fluoride, uh, by God, does that hurt the, the teeth or the body? To, to my understanding, yes. I mean, definitely. And that's how, like I said, that's how they, they, they first got the idea to fluoride because the naturally occurring calcium fluoride was causing problems. And um yeah so uh, as far as i know there's no there's no need for fluoride there's no such thing as a fluoride deficiency right yeah yeah so fascinating um so you did this for a long time obviously a proactive lady who <laughs> i've always mm -hmm. i've always been interested in uh, those of you who have the courage and the wherewithal to go out and and do these adventures, you know, whether it's saving the whales or saving, you know, whatever. Is it, uh, is it most of, I mean, what? tell me about what motivates you to do these kinds of things that we're going to talk about today. Um, I just get really angry when I see, <laughs> especially like the people who the most of the public tend to trust and think are working for their benefit are actually harming them in very serious ways. It just makes me very angry uh -huh. and... <laughs> So that's what motivates me. Yeah. Right. yeah, it's not. I'm not like pursuing adventure. <laughs> um, it's just frustration and anger, and just wanting people to know what's really going on, yeah. so that they can protect themselves. And you know, it would be nice if we could hold people accountable. But because of the issues with the courts and the so-called law enforcement, that never seems to happen. But at least if people are educated, they can do what they can to protect themselves. Yeah. So, so yeah. What did you have an aha moment when you knew that this whole virus thing was fraudulent? Do you remember when you first uh, had that, that awareness? Most definitely, yes, really? because um, I like I didn't trust the official story from the beginning because I had dealt with the public health community and I know they just make things up. And But it didn't occur to me that there wasn't even a virus. Uh, that thought never entered my mind. But then someone sent me presentations by Dr. Andrew Kaufman, and it was so that was my aha moment. Huh. Um, his his second video on um, COVID nineteen, the one uh, the first his first presentation, he talked about the tests, and then in the second one, he started talking about the virus isolation issue, and he explained very very clearly, you know, what could be done if a if a virus actually existed and if virologists were actually scientists, what they could do to isolate it and what they actually do in virology, which is completely opposite mm -hmm. and completely mm -hmm. ridiculous. So that was, that was my aha moment. So when, Dr. when you heard that show, then where did you go from there? Um, from there, I think it was pretty shortly after that, that I started filing freedom of information requests because hmm. what, um, Andy, um, it was explaining to people was that 
like I said, they, if if you if you were a scientist and you have a suspicion that there might be a new tiny little particle in people that's causing disease, hmm. your first step should be to look and see if you can find this particle, right? And you would need to separate it from everything else so that you could actually sequence it and characterize it and do controlled experiments which is, you know, the scientific method is all about controlled experiments. You have to have a valid independent variable. So that would be the the first step. Um, but it turns out that that's not how virology works because virology is literally just not a science. It's pseudoscience. And so they skip that step altogether and they mix things together instead of trying to separate something out. And um, they just jump to crazy uh, conclusions, um, make assertions claiming that they isolated a virus when actually they've mixed a clinical sample with some, usually some monkey cells and some cow serum and mm -hmm. some toxic drugs. And when they see the monkey cells breaking down, they, they blame it on a virus. And they, not even any virus, but a specific virus because they just know these things, right? So. Yeah. Um, so when I learned that from Dr. Kaufman, I, I looked at the studies that he was talking about and I saw what he was saying and I saw other studies as well from different countries and it was all the same kind of nonsense that they were doing. So that was when I decided, um, what I could do as a, to verify and make sure that no, no studies had been missed somehow. Um, I started doing freedom of information requests to Health Canada and the Public Health Agency of Canada and eventually many more institutions um, in Canada and different countries and just asking them, um, please provide me any study or report that you have that actually describes someone, anyone in the world, finding this alleged virus in a clinical sample and purifying it. Because if they haven't done that first step, then we know they haven't followed through with the other steps. Interesting. So that's what I started asking yeah. for, yeah. And uh, and then the responses started coming back and nobody had any records. What, what is a, we've all heard the term, what exactly is a freedom of information request for you? What is that? Yeah, so freedom of information is, um, it's a legislated process that's available in most countries. And it's, it's for situations where you want to obtain records from a government institution that records that aren't already available to the public. And it's a little more complicated than that because, um, you know, it varies, the legislation varies from jurisdiction to jurisdiction and you know, there's typically exemptions and exceptions to what the legislation actually covers. But in a nutshell, it's a way to get records that are not already available. And, you know, sometimes you can just write to a, a politician or, or a public, public servant and ask them for records, and sometimes they'll help you. But when it's more sensitive, like with everything to do with COVID-19, they're more likely to just ignore you and not help you. So if you do a freedom of information request, then they're required to follow a protocol and make sure that they respond to you within a, a certain amount of time. I see. So that was why I did it that Are way. Are there specific forms you have to use or a format a letter? Is it a, a form you have to use? 
Usually, uh, quite often institutions will have forms. Um, I'm kind of stubborn. I avoid using forms when I can. But sometimes um, some institutions will have a, an online portal where you can make your request. And in some jurisdictions, you have to pay to an application fee as well. So in those circumstances, I use an online portal, but generally with most legislation, at least what I'm aware of, you, as long as you make your request in writing, it can be through email, it could be a letter in the mail, um, just as long as it's in writing. Mm -hmm. uh, some institutions try to push you into using a form, but no, um, I'm so on it your varies. I'm on your rep website right now, and you've done 213 of these requests? Well, I, I had a lot of help, so wow. I probably, I did a good chunk of those, but I didn't do them all by myself. Mm -hmm. So when I started getting the responses, I was putting them on social media to let people know what was going on. And then people in different countries started helping. So a lot of those requests were done by other people as well. And I just realized, you know, we, we need to collect these all together in one place um, so that people can see, you know, because it's important evidence. Um, you know, it shows that literally all these these health and science institutions are telling us about a virus, they're telling us to get tested, they're telling us to do this and don't do that. Um, and literally they have no science whatsoever. So, yeah, and now we have... Yeah. yeah. What exactly do you ask them? What, what words do you use? What do you ask them? Um, I, can, I can actually read it. Yeah. Or I, I could even, yeah, I could share. I'll just go to, um, I have a template on my website where I. Oh, you do? Um, Let me look at that. Yeah, I actually have a template so people, if anyone wants to help and get more. I mean, we have so many now, it's so obvious that, yeah. that there aren't any records. But sure. if anybody wants to get um, evidence for where they live. So I'll just give you an example. I've tinkered with the wording here and there, but uh, this is basically how it goes. So any, um, sorry, all studies or reports in the possession, custody, or control of the institution describing the purification of the alleged COVID-19 virus, uh, including any of the alleged variants, directly from a sample that was taken from a diseased human where the patient sample was not first combined with any other source of genetic material, hmm. for example, monkey cells or fetal bovine serum, because this, this is what they actually do in virology. They mix things sure. together. Yeah. And then I clarify for them also that um, note that I'm not requesting studies where the researchers failed to purify the suspected virus and instead they cultured something or they did a PCR test or they fabricated a genome, which is what they do in virology, <laughs> or they produced an electron microscopy image. Because these are the kind of things you typically see in these virology studies. Um, and it's the so-called culturing part that they really try to pass off as virus isolation. Yeah, which is the main so argument for all the, the people in this, in this movement, the Cowans and the Lockers, Vollmers, and oh, Stones, the Baileys. All these people, this is really what they focus on, right? Show me the virus. Yeah, this is a huge part of it. And I mean, it seems like they're, they do a few things. They do the, their culturing, they're in a dish with a cell line. They do, um, they make up genomes that are literally creations that they make on a computer and they've never showed that there's a physical counterpart anywhere in the world. Hmm. 
And then they show the electron microscopy images too, and lots of cartoons. I mean, I'm sure you've seen all the computer generated uh, images, but also the electron microscopy images. And the issue with those is they're always in the monkey cells and they just literally put some arrows and point at some tiny little particles and declare that it's a virus, but they never actually do the steps to to find out if that thing matches the definition of a virus. So on the electron microscope, how do you know that they're just giving you a monkey cell, Christine? Um, because you have to read the methods in the paper. Mm-hmm. So if you, if yeah, so a lot of people get confused or they think that we're crazy because there's a lot of papers where they claim that they isolated the virus and they they specifically use that word that's their their terminology so it's a big deal in virology when someone declares that they isolated the virus so supposedly they isolated a virus in china and then the next country was um Australia and eventually the US and Canada and many other countries. So this is like a big kind of a big deal when they announce, oh, we we isolated the virus in our country too. Oh no, you know, now we have to start testing here. Um, but like I was saying, what they what they actually do in these studies when you read them, you can't just read the title or the abstract. You have to drill down into the actual methods and then you that's when everything falls apart when you actually read <laughs> what did you actually do <laughs> and you find out it's 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 ridiculous and it's amazing that they've been getting away with this for long time. so long yeah. it, it's been going on since the 50s that's when the the cell culture piece of it got started with um i believe it was a paper by john enders yes. about the imaginary measles virus and then prior to that, um, they had different methods, but they were always doing ridiculous things that were, they never adhere to the scientific method, where you actually have an independent variable and you do proper, valid, controlled experiments. Hmm. There, yeah. And when you do the request to all these people, you lay out that you know what an isolation is in the request, so so they don't come back and just say, "Oh, we isolated it, and here it is." Exactly. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you tell and, them you got the right, Because, yeah, yeah I, I put a lot of effort into the very first uh, wording. And actually, in the beginning, I used the word isolation, but then there's so much controversy over that word because you get these sciencey types who try to tell you, oh, you don't, you don't understand virology or you don't understand microbiology. And you just end up in these ridiculous arguments over a word. So I stopped using the word isolation, and that's why I just say purification now and try to avoid all those arguments over the word isolation. But I think the fact that the virologists use the word isolation, um, I know it's just become part of their lingo at this point. It's, you know, it's just a part of their terminology, but you, you have to wonder in the beginning when they first started using that word, when they were actually doing the exact opposite, it, it makes you wonder about the motivations it, i mean number one it's hard to imagine anyone who thinks of themselves as a scientist being so confused and you know to to consider what they're doing science and then to use a word that means normally means the exact opposite of what they're actually doing yeah, yeah. it kind of makes you wonder if that wasn't an intentional way to hoodwink people it's kind of like bills in congress when they do the 
the Banking Privacy Act and all these things, and they're always the exact opposite of what they say. Yes. <laughs> always exactly. exactly. That's exactly. That's precisely it. Yeah. Very clever. Yeah. Very clever. Uh, we're talking yeah. with uh, Christine yes. uh, Massey. Yes. Her website is fluoridefreepeel.ca. Uh, uh, now, the Cohens and Kaufmans in the world, they, they're really sticking to the isolation idea because they kind of say, well, it's, isolation means this, and it just has to be separate. And why did you go to purification and then the foyers? Oh, like it, it's the same thing. It's mm-hmm. just I wanted to stay away from the word because of all the all the controversy. All the you you just get you just end up wasting time in silly arguments with people. I see. Um, who are saying you don't understand? They you know they just try to tell you well that's not what isolation means in in virology, and so we say well. But that's what they need to do. They need to actually purify. So I just use the word purify just to avoid the confusion. And I'll mention too, like um, a couple of other points that I always put in my requests, just in case, you know, some people might be thinking, well, um, you know, freedom of information requests, like I was saying before, they only cover records that are not already publicly available so sometimes people would try to argue and say well those records are already publicly available they don't have to give you those records so i always say in my requests that um excuse me if there are any records that you have and they're already publicly available then please give me the details so that i can find those records so please give me the date the author you know the journal the title um, and give me the URL if it's something that's posted online. So I, I always, you know, cover all the bases. I try mm-hmm. to cover every possible situation. And I also say that I'm not only asking for records that were written by someone at your institution. I'm asking for any record that you have, no matter who wrote it, no matter where wow. it came from. Uh, Christine, yeah. could you stay right there and we'll do do a little break and we'll be we'll be. Sure. Uh, Check back with you in just a second here. Pretty interesting. And we'll dig into where she sent all these things. I don't know, there'd be 213 people you could send these things to, but obviously there is, and she's still counting. (laughs) And uh, uh, our phone lines are continued to be down because we had a ice apocalypse and we had two or three inches of global warming uh, breaks a lot of the trees and the the telephone wires. And um, so... Uh, they've been out for a couple of weeks, so if you care to join the conversation this afternoon, you can do that by emailing me, Patrick at one radio network.com. Patrick at one radio network.com. About three and a half years ago, we got introduced to a technology called molecular hydrogen. Molecular hydrogen. And the Japanese folks are, are probably the the premier researchers and real geeks on hydrogen, the machine that we have here, the holy hydrogen machine, the Hydrofix, is uh, made in Japan. It's, uh, uh, we think, the most far-reaching technology there is out there, and that's why we're promoting this one now. And it's a pure uh, food grade. It's very quiet. Uh, There's no maintenance, no maintenance. And uh, they also... mm, um, finance it too if you want to do easy payments thing. That's how I purchased mine. You know, they're a couple thousand bucks and, you know, 
I don't know about you, but I didn't have $2,000 lying around with nothing to do. So, <laughs> so what are you doing down there? Two, so that's what I did. I like, I don't know, a couple hundred bucks a month. And, and um, so there you have it. Uh, it's, these are great machines. It's on the front page of OneRadioNetwork.com. Now you make the water first thing in the morning. You can make two quarts of water, which is really cool. And you want to drink this on an empty stomach. And then you can have a little food after that or whatever. And then you breathe the gas as much as possible with a little cannula. If people see you, they, you'll probably think you're sick and look like you're in oxygen, but it's just the opposite. Uh, and this is a food hydrogen. It's on both sides of the periodic table. So it's a very uh, spiritual, actually, kind of molecule. Many people believe that hydrogen was the first molecule to manifest by divine spirit, when this whole thing got kicked around and uh, came out of uh, from God, hydrogen was the first one, and it's um, it's a very um, curious uh, molecule because again, it's not trying to kill anything because we don't believe there's anything to kill. So why would you want to do that? But uh, it's a food. It's energy. It's like being out in the sun or breathing. It's like a God thing. It's very powerful, and it's a molecular hydrogen. Breathe the gas drink the water, and it's on oneradionetwork.com, oneradionetwork.com. If you pay attention to our shows or just just cruise around the interweb that Al Gore invented, thanks, Al, um, you'll know <laughs> that was good. Speak, You'll know that uh, the whole mon- monetary system, you talk about something fraudulent like a virus, well, I mean, you can't even, you start talking about the monetary system and it's just like bizarre. I mean, they're just... It's just, not, it's, you talk about fairy tales. Cowan likes to use that term. It's a fairy tale. Well, money is a fairy tale. It's just all made up, folks. It's just what they say it is. It's called fiat currency. And fiat means when a government says, this is what it's worth, and we're doing this by fiat because we have, the, we have all the guns and the courts and the military. Anyway, so a long, a long way of getting around to gold and silver is the only real money in, in existence. Uh, the realest thing that we know. I mean, we 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 people, we humans, we we actually made gold and silver money by fiat. So, you know, that's the way we did it. Somebody decided long ago the gold was going to be valuable, and because it was hard and durable, and hard to find and scarce, and so we created that to be money uh, long ago. Well, I don't know how far back. So, if you'd like to get some gold and silver coins, we have just the place for you to do it. It's eight hundred. 878-2646. 800-878-2646. Fred Dashevsky. I've known Fred for 25 years. A very ethical guy. You can get pre-1965 dimes, quarters, and halves. This is called currency silver. Or you can get uh, the more fancy stuff. $20 gold pieces came out of the, the Roaring Twenties. And uh, they're in, encased in plastic and graded. And, uh, you know, get some. And uh, who knows what the dollar is going to do, but there's a lot of people feel that the dollar is going to have a bad, bad hair day someday, and we'll see if that's true. But so you'll, you'll, you'll like it to have some gold and silver around. Uh, uh, 800-878-2646. This product, one of our favorites, is on uh, sale today. Daniel Vitalis, let's play a game. On a desert island, you can only pick one food. Just one. Just only one. 
Um, if I had to live off of one food, I think it would be, if I had any choice, it would probably be colostrum. It's the most complete food that I know of. And the, and the thing about colostrum is the first food for any mammal. So it's kind of a no-brainer that colostrum contains all essential fats, contains all essential amino acids, it contains all essential glyconutrients, which are carbohydrates. It basically contains every substance that we need to maintain our bodies. The first milking you get from a cow after the cow calves is called colostrum. Every milking thereafter is called transitional milk. And what it is is it's part colostrum and part milk. So that's something that can happen in the industry because people will sell you the transitional milk and call it colostrum. We're very careful not to do that. We only use the first milking of the animals. Pure colostrum. Yeah, baby. And let me interrupt Patrick, talk show host guy. On sale, use promo code um, OPTIMIZE. Promo code Optimize for those of you in Petaluma. That's O P T I M I whatever. Uh, you know, optimize. You know how to spell optimize. I don't even know how to spell it. I need to move to California. Optimize. Anyway, you you get it right, and it's cool, and it's a, it's a really wonderful product, and uh, and the sale goes on for I think another week, and then we're gonna back to regular price, twenty percent off. Whoa, twenty percent off. And if this button would work, I would do it. Oh, there it is. I think I can do that. Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. We're with Christine Massey, who uh, spent a long time working with fluoride up in Canada and then got all turned on to show me the virus because there is none, and she's filed over 200 FOIA requests. So, I mean, so you've done these all over the world? You don't have to be a citizen in the country to do a FOIA? I, I have filed FOIAs to the U.S., Australia, um, a few different countries, mm-hmm. but like other people were helping around the world oh, too, so I the, didn't yeah. do it all, right? Yeah. But um, generally, it seems, based on the few countries that I have filed to, it seems like anybody normally can do it. The only issue I had was um, in Australia. I had to give a an Australian mailing address, but and so I just found someone who had an address that didn't mind me giving it. And um, but I I just tell them I tell the institution I want to communicate through email. So as long as you have an Australian uh, address to give them, yeah. you can do it. So in general, over two hundred out of the two hundred, can you conjecture just ballpark it? How many sent you something saying this is a virus? Oh, probably. I, I haven't kept track. Yeah, um, it would be a good thing to tabulate, but they definitely a lot of, um, I don't know if it might be like 20% of the institutions. It could be around 20 or 30. And like, for example, with the CDC, the very first time we sent a FOIA to them on this topic, um, they admitted flat out they didn't have any records. But we have seven more responses since then, and they that's when they started doing the song and dance, and they try to get tricky, and they cite, well, the CDC, uh, the CDC actually has this, some standard paragraphs now that they send to anybody who asks about this issue, because we've seen the same paragraphs over and over again, mm-hmm. and even I think the, the NIH or another institution gave the same paragraphs. 
So yeah, they cite um, they cite the CD study, which is by Jennifer Harcourt and her colleagues, which is just blatantly fraudulent and silly. Um, and then they cite a few other studies as well that don't even purport to have purified the alleged virus. So yeah, so yeah, we get a lot of. Um, you know, institutions, sometimes they try to make excuses or they make it sound like, oh, um, you know, you can find those records in the public domain. Yeah. And But if we ask, well, where, what, what are these studies? Please cite them. Then, of course, they never have an answer for us. And we've had institutions, too, like um, we've done some requests also that are related to this topic of whether or not the virus actually exists, but coming at it from different angles. So, for example, um, my colleague in New Zealand, he he was asking one institution for records of how they do their control experiments. So the actual details, like how much of each chemical did you use mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. And I think this was the UK Health Security Agency. And so the excuse they used um, was that it would be a national security risk if they released this information. That's always a good one, national and, security, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they, or sometimes they'll give you um, a fee estimate. They'll say, well, you know, oh, they told him, another institution told him that it would take a senior scientist 40 hours to search for re the records. Oh. So it was, they wanted something like $4,000 from him. So we, you know, so things like that happen too. Yeah. So when they send you something that obviously there is no virus, so they have to send you something, do, do you then respond to that and say, that's not right, show me the real thing? Or do you do that? Um, yeah, usually, usually I do. Um, like a lot of institutions do come right out and then just admit they don't have any records. And when they do send me studies, I typically do write back. And like, for example, I've written back to the CDC many, several times and pointed out the problems with the studies. Um, same with the Public Health Agency of Canada. Um, and yeah, and they never, you know, they never have a really anything to say about it that's usually the end of the conversation <laughs> at that so point they, there they don't say they're they don't they say let's see the studies it doesn't exist they don't say the virus doesn't exist they say the studies right no no they'll, they'll never come out and say that and yeah. what they'll do i can actually read you um an okay. example from the cdc i'll just pull it up here hopefully it, it shouldn't take more than a few seconds um so the CDC, in their very first response, this was November 2nd, 2020, they, they just admitted they didn't have any records. And then my colleague asked them again in March, or I guess it was February of 2021. So he got a response letter in March, March 1st of 2021. And I'll just read part of it for okay. you. So if anybody wants to find this one on my website and read it, it's I'm reading from the bottom of page three. So the, the letter says, um, so I'm quoting, the SME, and that, ref that, re that refers to the subject matter expert. So the subject matter expert states the following. The definition of isolation provided in the request is outside of what is possible in virology. As viruses need cells to replicate and cells require liquid food. And then they go on to say uh, SARS-CoV-2 virus may be isolated from a human clinical specimen by culturing in cell culture, which is the definition of 
isolation used in microbiology. And so they're, they admitted flat out that you can't isolate it. <laughs> what we're, yeah, they, and not just SARS-CoV-2, like it's never done in virology. And this is not done. And I mean, you know, if there were a technical limitation, um, that would be different, but well, then they still wouldn't be able to do science because you couldn't obtain a pure sample, but at least it would be um, a little more understandable. But, uh, you know, supposedly other things in the same size range and smaller have been purified. They have the technology to do that. It's just when it comes to viruses, there's a problem. And they, I mean, they also, quite often we get this response to not just from institutions, but people in the public who, who want to argue with us, they'll say this thing about viruses need cells to replicate, and this is why you can't purify a virus. But the request has nothing to do with um, a virus replicating. I, I didn't ask for records of a virus replicating without a cell. So, you know, this is just a red herring to distract people from the fact that this alleged particle that's supposedly pretty much every, you know, even in people who aren't sick, asymptomatic people, we're breathing it, we're talking it, it's on surfaces, it's, you know, potentially everywhere. And yet when you ask them, okay, just show us where you actually found it in somebody, they can't do it. So they they have to resort to these silly methods where they like I I don't your other guests have probably talked about it but I'll mm. just explain very briefly. Sure. So typically they'll they'll take a clinical sample from um, a sick person and you know so basically just a, some bodily fluid, some snot or some lung fluid, and they put it in a cell line. They don't. They usually they don't even filter it or anything. They just put the contents of the clinical sample in a dish with, um, and it's usually monkey cells. And their story, their story, um, like the way they justify it, they say, "Well, we wouldn't be able to find the virus directly in the clinical sample because there wouldn't be enough." There's not and enough there. This, yeah, and I mean, it it doesn't make sense because first of all. If you can't find it, then you have no grounds for saying that it is there. And also, how can it be making people sick if there's so little that you can't even find it? It doesn't make sense. And I mean, they could do things too, where they even combine samples from more than one person. If they really believe there's something in there and that there's just such a tiny amount, they could combine various samples together and find it that way but they don't. So they say, no, we have to mix it with some monkey cells because we have to give it a chance to grow. Well, this doesn't make sense either because supposedly it already grew in the person who's sick, right? That's the whole story is that already replicated mm -hmm. and they are a living cell culture. <laughs> but, you know, but they say, no, we have to now um, culture it in the monkey cells. And the monkey cells are not even the alleged host. So it, it doesn't make sense on any level that they can't find it in the clinical sample, that they need to grow it in monkey cells. It doesn't add up. And then even when they do the cell culture, they still don't purify it out. We have a FOIA response from the CDC, and they don't have any record of anyone purifying the alleged virus, even from their monkey cell culture. 
So it, nothing adds up in virology any which way you, anywhere you delve in and start to look at what they're actually doing, it doesn't add up. Yeah. Have you had a chance to look at uh, Dr. Bailey's uh, Farewell to Vi- Virology paper? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Pretty, yeah, no, that's cool. brilliant. That's yeah. the masterpiece. Yeah, yeah it's, it's excellent. Cool. Yeah. In, yeah, in this same world, um, you know, virology would have been over, it would have been over back in 2020, but that paper is is brilliant. And uh, yeah, everybody should read it. We send it uh, we've sent it to politicians it's you know a lot of people have read it i think he had um he had a lot of downloads just in the first week i think he told me uh, i might not get the number correct i think he said something like forty thousand downloads anyway he it's it's been um you know it's it's not like nobody knows about it and it hasn't been brought to the attention of the authorities but um they're just you know doing their thing if you would like Sticking to get to that, that paper, you can go to drsambailey.com, I believe that's correct, and you'll find the Farewell to Virology. I think it's about 80 pages, something like that. Uh, um, 75, something like that. I, I sent it, it, I sent like it to that. a printer and had them print it out and made a little book out of it, so I have it to hold. Oh, yeah. yeah, so you can study it and sit around and read it. and Wow, underline stuff, you know. Yeah. I'm just bringing it up now to have a look. I forget yeah, I how many. 75, 80 it's pages. 60, oh, 67 pages. 60. Yeah. Uh, Christine yeah, Massey is read. with us. Um, Christine, where else did you send uh, for the United States most of our... We, we have a lot of Canadian people here. Does Canada okay. have this similar to NIH and CDC up there? And Yes. The, probably the closest thing we have to the CDC would be the the Public Health Agency of Canada. And and that was one of the first institutions that I got a response from. Um, and then our closest thing to the FDA would be Health Canada, because it's Health Canada that approves products and um, clinical trials. So and that was the very first institution that I got a response from. And we have, um, like in Canada, we had four, uh, we had researchers from four different institutions jointly um, claim that they had isolated the virus and they did um, they did a publication and I have responses from all four of those institutions none of them have any record and actually one of those institutions I can um, read a little bit from that one too okay. because we got a very we got a very similar um, response from what the CDC said. I'm just scrolling down my site right now so I can read exactly what they said. Um, so I actually received two letters. This is from um, Mount Sinai Hospital in Toronto. So the lady told me, uh, I have been engaging with our experts at Sinai Health regarding your request. We are not clear on the records that you are requesting, as we are not aware that isolation of a virus um, in the manner that you have described is possible for any virus. It's possible. It is not within, yeah, they're, they're saying it's not possible. It's not within the scope of current scientific processes. And then I received a follow-up letter from her a while later, and she basically reiterated the same thing. It's not within the scope of current scientific processes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and um, 
And just to sort of back that up, I should let your your listeners know that um, we, I have filed, and other people have helped me with this as well, I have filed many requests to the CDC about other alleged viruses. Ah. So it's not just, um, it's not it's just SARS-CoV-2. So I don't have hundreds and hundreds because like that's just way too much work. But generally, when I'm looking into other alleged viruses, I ask the CDC, and I've had colleagues who've asked in New Zealand, and I have um, a colleague in England who's asked many of the municipal institutions there, the public health units. Nobody has any record for any alleged virus that we've asked about. Nobody has anything. Um, I did one request to the Public Health Agency of Canada, and in that one, I asked them for any record of any alleged virus that supposedly infects humans like a flu virus um, any record anything. of any yeah. any of them at all being purified again by anybody in the world and they had nothing they admitted it they had nothing um hmm. we have the cdc on records um i've asked them for any record of any alleged virus that is covered by a so-called vaccine on their um vaccination schedules the childhood or the adult any of those alleged viruses and they had no records and then there's many more like i've done individual ones too measles influenza adenovirus <laughs> hiv hpv ebola zika i mean well, i haven't done every single virus epstein bar virus hepatitis b or c um there's quite a few of them there so uh it, it's always the same story usually they admit they have no records or sometimes you know they they do send a study or two but it's the same situation when you read the methods so the study will, we study for. would just do the same idea where they're doing the same process with the you know monkey cells and the petri dish and the whole thing right those are yeah the generally if if it's um one of the viruses that supposedly was discovered prior to the 1950s, then sometimes you see different methods, but it's always silly. And, you know, the, what they do, another thing they do in virology is they'll do an animal study. So first they, they pretend that they have a sample of this particle, but they've never even shown that that specific particle exists. They, make, they just make up their genomes and assign properties to these particles that they have never actually found. And then, uh, so they'll be working with um, a soup of material, either a clinical sample, or sometimes they take the, the junk from their cell culture, where they have the human and monkey and um, cow material mixed together. And they'll do, um, they'll do an animal study, supposedly showing that, oh, yes, this virus causes these symptoms. And, you know, this is how they're proving that it, it really is a disease-causing disease agent. But they, they never expose the animals in a, in a natural way. We're told these things spread naturally, you know, through the air or by touching a surface and picking something up or um, that sort of thing. Or, or, you know, some of them are said to infect food. But instead, when they do their animal studies, they'll inject the animals. Typically, they'll do something that's invasive and it's completely different. You know, you can you can there's a, a lot of things you could eat 
Um, but if you have it injected into your bloodstream, that's a completely different situation, right? So it's always invalid. Whatever they do in virology, it's never a valid experiment that they carry out. Have you gone back to even uh, Spanish flu and polio and HIV and that whole thing? I did. I, I have asked the CDC for any record of any alleged um, influenza virus, and they had nothing. And yes, we have HIV. Um, we have many um, of those um, health units in England admitted they had nothing with HIV. Uh, we probably, let me see, I'm just checking. Yeah, and I have my, where I used to live in Peterborough, Ontario, and we have them on record too, that they have nothing with HIV. So yeah, it doesn't seem to matter at all um, what we ask about. There's just nothing. There's nothing there. This so I haven't delved into the history as much as some of my colleagues. Some of my colleagues have focused more on going back historically, and you know, and like Mike Stone or the Baileys, right. um, you know, pulling pulling the studies apart. And I've been focusing more on helping, you know, by getting these admissions from the institutions because it's it's. It's basically evidence showing that look, they're they're admitting right there in black and white, um, which makes it hard to understand. You know, I think I'm going off on a tangent, That's but right. why some of these high-profile people and in, uh, organizations that are involved in the health freedom movement, why are they not all over this? You know, like for example. Children's Health Defense, which is headed by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Yes, yes, and Mary Holland. These are two lawyers. And here we have literally legal, you know, admissions on in paper from all these institutions. No, we don't have a record. We don't have a we don't have it. And you would think, because this is evidence, you know, when you have when you actually look at the studies and combine it with the FOIs and everything that we know. Um, you know, we're in a position right now to bring down the entire, uh, to bring down virology and, and all the, all the related um, harmful interventions. I mean, most obviously the injections, the, the fake vaccines, um, that whole industry is, could be brought to its knees and exposed for what it really is. But they're not helping us do that. Instead, they have article after article and video after video coming out where they're just talking about viruses. They're talking about the pandemic. They're talking about gain of function as if it's all real. And, you know, it's very it's very frustrating <laughs> to to us. Sure. Um so, you know, and I said to, I, I had an opportunity to question Mary Holland recently. Oh, children's um, health defense. Had, yeah, see, yeah. Yeah, she had done um, a Zoom call with a group called Medical Doctors for COVID Ethics. And so usually what they do there is twice a week, they have a guest on and the, so the person will give a presentation and then there's question and answer period afterwards. And so during the question and answer period, um, both my colleague Bill Houston and myself questioned her. Oh, you did? And Bill was asking her, um, you know, why is Children's Health Defense going along with the, the core fraud? You know, 
basically the the official narrative you guys are going along with it all you're going along with the idea that there's a virus that there's a pandemic that these tests actually mean something and she just basically denied you know that that they were really doing that but i mean anybody can check their website and see you know the content that they've been putting out so then when i had a chance to talk to her um i asked her um Oh, I asked her, what is Children's Health Defense's position right now on this issue? Does the virus exist? Yes or no? And if yes, what science are you relying on? Mm -hmm. And I also reminded her that um, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. had, he had been questioned about the FOIs by Eric Coppolino. He's a, an investigative reporter in New York. And back in April of 2022, Eric had, he was at an event where um, Robert had given a presentation and again, there was question and answer. So Eric's question to Robert was, you know, there's this collection of freedom of information responses, all these institutions around the world are admitting they don't have a sample of the alleged virus, would you comment? And um, basically, Robert got tongue-tied and tried to laugh it off and he you know he didn't even come out with um a strong statement saying well yes the virus does exist you know I've seen the science for sure it exists there's a whole book coming out on the alleged virus you know the origins of COVID-19 is supposed to come out anytime I believe who's writing that but he didn't the book Robert F. Kennedy oh, Jr. He's, oh he's writing a book oh yeah, he has. A, apparently, it's written and it his whole thing. It's, it was a lab leak. That's where he goes. Yeah, he talks about the lab leak, and I mean, I don't follow him myself because I gave up on them quite some time ago. But sure. um, apparently, he's got a whole. You know, he has a, definitely has a whole book coming out about that, and so that was really strange. And then in um, later in 2022, one of my colleagues had written to Robert asking him um, to support the settling the virus debate challenge. I think that was why he wrote to him. But basically um, saying, you know, will you, you know, help us get this truth out, get the truth out. And Robert um, was telling this person how much he admires them. He admires their integrity. He um you know was glad that they're doing what they're doing to to expose this information but he said i will have to beg off on this issue for now because um the cost return ratio didn't work for him at this time and he actually said if you guys get closer to the goal line then i'll maybe help you how it's, much closer you know, he, do you have to be was, there's no there's no yeah. evidence, right? Yeah, I guess he wants to get, they don't want to be the ones to tell the public because initially a lot of people, when they hear this, they think you're crazy and sure. you might lose some of your followers, right? Because they think you're nuts. They think you're, right. you're they wonder what's wrong with you. Um, so they're basically, he basically said that um, I'm I'm not willing to do that. You know, it, I mean, it sounds to anyone I've anyone I know who has read this email is looking at it and saying, "Yeah, this is basically admitting that it doesn't work financially for them to to tell the truth on this matter." Yeah, 
And then I had emails with Mary Holland and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Um, late last year. And I was asking them, just very politely asking them, um, you know, the same sort of questions. And like, have you guys read the methods in these studies out of China and the CDC study where they supposedly isolated the virus? And if so, do you consider those methods to be valid and scientific? And um, I, and I just asked them, do you have any scientific scientific evidence that any virus actually exists? And they they didn't they didn't even try to cite a study for me. They didn't answer any of my questions. Um, and then they Mary put me in touch with the, their so called science consultant Jay Cooey. And so eventually asked Jay um, the same sort of questions. You know what what science are you relying on? And Jay never cited any studies. Um, and he did some hit pieces on us. He did some videos where he was really trashing you know, mm. virus people mm. and saying that the FOIs are basically dismissing the FOIs. And um, eventually Eric Coppolino interviewed him and they had like a three hour conversation. And Jay ended up admitting um, that it could be true that viruses don't exist. And he specifically said that for the last 20 years, um, virology has been based on indirect observations of things that virologists cannot prove exist. So he, he himself dismissed all of virology for the last 20 years. And yet in the same breath, he keeps talking about viruses and coronaviruses. Really interesting, and, isn't it? And yeah. he, it's very, very, very interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, and Mary, when I asked her, so when I put her on the spot and said, you know, what is your position now? And is there a virus or not? And again, she just, she didn't have an answer. She said, well, you know, we're open. We're open to the virus existing. We're open to it not existing. Um, we're still exploring the issue. <laughs> You know, three years later, we're still exploring. Yeah, still exploring. So, yeah, yeah. It's funny with human nature. I guess people get uh, attached to an idea that they, you know, they talk about. It's kind of like a religion, and you make a living with it, and you're afraid to. You don't want to change. You know, it's I, it's hard. Uh, yeah, it's, it's hard understandable. I don't agree with them, but it's understand. You can understand. I mean, think about it. Alex Jones and Dell Bigtree and Joe Rogan and you know, none of these people have brought up. Uh, this you know they mm -hmm. you know. yeah i mean well dell did have um dr kaufman on back he did. in 2020 actually he oh, did that's yeah. right yeah he did. yeah but yeah he did but then he just reverted he just carried on he and just didn't pursue on. the issue so i don't mean to attack them it's just we're kind of no, trying to nudge them and yeah. and put you know put this in people's minds because uh, one of the things I said to Mary, it's like you guys are acting like another layer of government and we have to keep working to dispel what you guys are telling people. And people think, oh, like people think very highly of children's health defense because they have sure. done yeah. great work and, over and, the you years. Know, you got to love Robert F. Kennedy Jr. God love him. You know, you, he just seems so authentic and, and you know. You know. Yeah, so, and, and this, but this is where it causes a problem because 
people trust them and they think, well, if there wasn't even a virus and, and virology was pseudoscientific, they would tell us, right? Right. So it makes an, an extra barrier. It's making it harder for us to get the truth out. So yeah. I'm just mentioning that so that yeah. people, you know, maybe if they get enough pressure, eventually they will start addressing this issue the way it needs to be addressed. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, yeah, sorry. That's right. Go ahead. Um, well, I was just going to say, like, because we often get people say to us, um, they try to tell us, well, you know, I'm open to the, what you're saying, or they even say, you know, I can see what you're saying, you know, the virology is ridiculous, they never show there's a virus, but it's not important. Um, you know, we just need to stop the, the jabs for now, and then we can address it. Well, <laughs> the problem with that, I mean, there's a major problem because, first of all, all the horrors that people experienced in during fake COVID, it wasn't just the jobs. I mean, remember in 2020, people were already very upset because they were being forced to close their business. People were being told to wear masks. There were people tackled on the street. There were people arrested and fined. Um, there were people committing suicide because, you know, the, the living situation was so horrible in some places with people sick and dying in hospitals who were being neglected because the nurses were afraid of them. We had people who had to die alone and couldn't have their family visit because everyone's afraid of this imaginary virus. We had people getting married and having funerals where they, you know, they could only have five or 10 people come. I mean, there were so many horrible things. And then all these really harsh, horrible treatments with people being put on ventilators and basically murdered in hospitals. So, there's all that and then when you realize it's not even just COVID-19 that was a lie it's all these other alleged viruses and we have children literally like I, I don't know about other countries but in the U.S. it's it's the worst in the U.S. children getting dozens and dozens of injections to go to school they're told they can't go to school if if they don't get them parents are afraid to let their children play with kids who are not vaccinated you know, I mean, it causes so much um, division in amongst people and so much physical harm is being done. And that's just the jobs, you know, but there's also toxic drugs that people are given. I had a friend years ago, he had liver problems and he had been an alcoholic. So I, my attitude was, well, maybe you just damaged your liver from all the alcohol. But the doctors told him no it was a it was a virus and um so they wanted to put him on a very toxic medication because of that there's all kinds of examples of um you know people's bodies and and social conditions uh and financially being hurt in so many different ways it's been going on and on it's been going on and on for decades. Um, I mean, virology began over a hundred years ago. So uh, there's all of this going on. And in New Zealand, I forget which year it was exactly, but it was several years before fake COVID even started. Um, families were being told that they would no longer qualify for benefits if they're not, yes. if the family's not all up to date on their fake vaccines. <laughs> So to us, I don't know, my colleagues and I, it's a no-brainer. Like, we have to get this truth out. We have, you know, like, this is important. This has to be dealt with. 
but um, I don't know if, I guess some people just don't stop and think it all through. I'm not really sure what the issue is there, but that's why we keep going. And, and some people think that we're being um, divisive or they claim, you know, that we're being nasty in some way. And we're not, we're just trying to get the truth out and challenging the people who keep talking about a virus, you know, to show us your science. Well, this is, has it. this is the mother load, as you know, and unless we go here, there's always going to be another virus and another injection. They're just going to keep coming exactly. up with them. And I agree with exactly. you. I mean, we have to get to the heart of the problem here. Otherwise, what are we doing? And it's amazing. I understand it. You know, it's, when you're in a religion, it's hard to change. You know, it's like, you know, mm-hmm. it's like being yeah, a Christian and sure. saying, no, Jesus wouldn't, you know, <laughs> no, he didn't really do it. You know what I'm saying? And, yes. and people are just not going to do that. You know, just, they're just not going to do it. Wow. Yeah. Somebody. Well, although. Go ahead. We, we actually have, though. Like, we had a lot of people in, yeah, I would say in the health freedom movement, a lot of those people have come, you know, to realize that virology is not legit, or they're at least opening their minds to it. But it's been a huge shift from 2020, the way things were, even in the health freedom movement, people just thought they of, were nuts. A lot of people working. There's up. been a oh, there's been a huge shift in the health freedom movement. Yeah. And then we just need to take that over to the more general public, which, of course, that's a lot harder to do because they're not even looking at platforms like yours. And, yeah. you know, we're just so small potatoes you know, compared to all those people. Somebody sent me yeah. a, um, the uh, immunization schedule for kids. And I, I was just looking for it, but I think it's like 74 or something. I think, yeah, I think you're right. Something like that. Can you imagine? Yeah. 74? Between, I think, up to 18 or something? 74. Yeah, and I I think they give babies um, an injection within their first few days of life. I forget right now which one that is for. I mean, they give them the vitamin K, but there's also a so-called vaccine that they give them in the first few days of life. I think it's a hepatitis, um, if I remember correctly. And then lots of influences, right? On and on. They want this kid, the kids to get these flu shots every every year, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Exactly. There's the, And I think it's probably, I mean, a lot of people in institutions don't really get much choice when it comes to um, the so-called vaccines. And a lot of elderly people, you know, they, and I mean, I, I saw this, well, I, I you know, I, my own mother, um, you know, and I was explaining to her what I had learned and she knew about all these FOIs, but even she, you know, eventually succumbed because there's so much pressure. And then um, because the doctors are so believe in this um, false paradigm that sometimes, you know, they don't even want to have patients if you're not up to date on your right. so-called vaccines. Right. So some of the seniors, even I know, that didn't even want to get a job got it because they're afraid well if i don't do what my doctor says they're going they won't they won't have me as a patient anymore and i like in canada there's a big issue with there not being enough doctors to go around personally i think maybe there's too many because they do a lot of harm but people believe that they're they're, you know that's what we're brought up with and we're brainwashed with the television and the movies and whatnot so um, yeah, so, sh- you know, a lot of, I'm sure a lot of seniors, um, even if they didn't really want it, they felt like they didn't really have any choice, and they were afraid not to get it, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would think 
maybe I would think there's more and more people that would like to come to the conclusion that there's nothing out there that can hurt me. I mean, isn't that a wonderful thing when you know that? It's like yes. it's like free as a bird. There's nothing that can hurt us. It just doesn't happen. It's exactly. not there. It's just not there. You would think more people would exactly. want to go there rather than to defend the idea that, no, no, there's something there. Isn't that curious? Some kind of a spiritual yeah. disconnect there. I haven't quite figured that out, you know, what that is. Yeah, it's true because you're right. It's so much, it's just so nice not to believe that Anything. things are inherently dangerous and that we're not inherently risky for each other, you know, and um, yeah, it's just, there's so much. Well, I think uh, the way I look at it, a big part of the problem or the reason people have a hard time letting go, we're so conditioned to trust experts or so-called experts you know we get that conditioning from the time we're children trust the experts and the, the movies and the papers the mass media reinforces that idea and so people stop thinking for themselves and it's really quite alarming um and just because really when you look at virology it's just basic logic like anybody can work this out for themselves that what they're doing doesn't make sense <laughs> so and you know dr dr tom cowan he i've heard him say um you know if we can't get a course correction on something that's this simple yes ma'am because it, virology really is quite simple how are we going to fix other things that are wrong that are more complex we have to be able to address things like this, right? So, um, I agree. That's yes. why we respect these people and your work and, and all the whole crowd because it is a big, I mean, I, I like that coast, if we don't get a course correction, what else, where are we going to go from here, right? It'll just be exactly same. Old. And, and I know from personal experience, and I can say this with all the um, um, sureness that I can muster, is that if we just believe that something can hurt us, right? Just have that belief. That's in our state of consciousness. Um, and it goes kind of subconscious and we carry it around and that's why we get sick. One of the reasons why we get sick. It's, it's, it's hard on the body. You can't, if you believe it, you got it. It's just that simple. Yeah. It's just that simple. I've ah. heard um, Eric Coppolino's site, there was a study done um, I don't know if it was the Department of Defense, I forget exactly who, but they did uh, a study or was it an experiment that they did on the public where they lied to people. But anyway, they came to the conclusion that, you know, just they what they observed was they I think they told a false story to people about some kind of danger. And then they they saw a corresponding rise in people going to the hospital sure. for that issue when when really there, were, there wasn't even a thing, whatever it was, it was another story they made up. It wasn't a virus. It was something else. And sure enough, you know, they they saw people and you have to wonder how many people like especially in 2020 when the fear was really thick in the air initially um how many people went to hospital just because they were having psychosomatic symptoms and then they get put on a ventilator and they're finished off yeah. and yeah like you said they'll just keep rolling out more imaginary variants or try to scare people you know they've already been trying to talk up marburg virus marburg, yeah or um inf you know and then they're killing animals too like the food supply they use it as an excuse to 
kill the chickens um, and the whole thing. The yeah. Chickens. Yeah. I think it's happened with pigs as well. So that I mean, it's that. And then we have um, pets being um, vaccinated as well. Like I, I, at least I know with dogs, for, it's for, done. I don't know if it's COVID? done with other animals yet. For COVID, not for no. COVID, not that I know of. Um, but other, there was already an issue with um, the veterinarians. You know, I've seen presentations from veterinarians trying to tell the decision makers, you know, that you're, you're telling us we have to adhere to this uh, vaccination schedule for the dogs. And, and it's the same thing with the dogs. They're being injured as well, too. Yeah. yeah. So it's, um, it's really big. And I mean, when you're, when your health is compromised, and of course, you're easier to control, you don't have nearly as much time for looking into things and learning what's really going on or to, you know, protect yourself or fight back in any way, you're far less likely to launch a lawsuit or try to help hold anybody responsible for whatever they do to you after that point, because you're busy struggling with your health. So um, yeah. it's a really effective way to disable the population and, and and then get away with all sorts of other things. I had a conversation. And that's a big part. Oh, excuse me. I had a conversation with a, a really nice fellow. Actually, he's been on my show at the Dripping Springs Farmer's Market, and he's doing a regenerative farm pig operation. I mean, these people are so natural, you can't believe, I mean, you can't get any more natural and organic, you know, really. Mm -hmm. But I had this conversation, because he, he said, he asked me, well, what have you guys been talking about on the show? And I'd start telling him about, there's no virus. Well, he just couldn't go there. I mean, he there's just oh. no way. He said, well, I've seen my pigs get sick. And you know what I'm saying? I hear what he's saying, but they're not thinking it through. Why are the pigs getting sick, even in a very natural environment? Uh, why would they get sick? Why would a dog exactly. get sick? Why would a cat get sick? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. We see that all the time. People, they point to symptoms and they think they know what the cause is. And, you know, it, it's just... It's just this um, logical fallacy where you're literally confusing the cause and effect. You're pointing at an effect of something and you're insisting you know what the cause was. So, um, yeah, we always just take it back to where's your where's your evidence? How do you know that it was a virus? And it, it's hard to, we, to yeah. reason with some people. We recently had a Dr. Thomas Seafried on the show, brilliant fellow who's been looking at cancer for his, most of his whole life. And they can they can prove, you know, that 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 glucose and glutamine through lots of tests and lots of studies, they can prove it. Uh, you know, feeds cancer cells. I mean, they can prove it. Glutamine and and glucose. And and you know, I talked to him, and and he has the same thing. He said these people just they don't want to hear it. They're in the cancer business, and they just don't they don't want to hear it. He's out of Boston College. Right. Brilliant fellow. Yeah, they don't want to hear it. Um. Bef when years ago I worked at a hospital, I was um, a biostatistician. I was working with cancer researchers at a cancer institute. And I only lasted there four years because I was so, well, different reasons, but I was partly, I was mm, disturbed by what what I they were doing there. Like all, every project I worked on, it was chemo, radiation, and surgery, right? right? right. It was never right. nutrition, never nothing, never anything natural. If I tried to mention something like, oh, do you guys ever look into this or that? They just kind of laugh and it was ridiculous. Um, and they were, I remember one of the things that <laughs> laughing 
they were doing bake sales, you know, to raise money for cancer research. So they're selling sugary cookies and squares and things. I'm like, guys, <laughs> do you not understand? <laughs> That's like the last thing you should be doing. But yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's disturbing, like so many things that are going on in research. Well, and that's another thing too. Like, sorry, no, no, no. Go ahead. Another go ahead. reason, another reason um, to why it's important to expose this is when you think of all the all these well-intentioned researchers out there. Most of them, you know, they just think they're working with real data. They have test results from COVID-19 or whatever other imaginary virus. They think it's real, they think it means something, and we've got entire institutes set up to, uh, to study imaginary particles, right? And then and then all the healthcare that goes into it, and just vast, vast amounts of money and energy and, you know, being dedicated to something that doesn't exist. Meanwhile, the things that, like you're saying, really do make people sick, or animals, what have you, mm -hmm. or plants, um, it's it's being ignored. It's not even being looked at because they think they already know the answer. So they keep the attention on that, and we don't look at the real causes. We don't look at the real solutions. So, yeah, that's just well, another one of the many reasons why that's how I, we have I to have sort this out. such respect for these doctors like the Cowan and Coffins and the Baileys and everything. you come out of medical school and you change you know you know after you're out of medical school you know there's a germ right it's probably in your DNA you just believe there's a germ right. you just believe there's a germ oh a couple things before we let you go thanks for being on the show um, on the Anders paper uh, that is brought up what what did he do to this is kind of the the standard that the the, the virologists use as to prove there's a virus. What did he do, Enders? Right. So to my, under, I haven't looked at it lately, but he did, he was the one that started doing the monkey, the cell culture business. And he, if I remember correctly, he added, there were different things um, added like milk, um, different materials. It wasn't maybe the exact same protocol because the details can change here and there, but it was still that same basic idea of doing a lab dish study. And it should be obvious to anybody too, like just doing something in a lab dish doesn't tell you anything about what happens in an actual physical body. But he was doing that same sort of um, thing. He was the one that started it. He did some um, controls and he concluded that even in the in the control group was getting similar effects in the cell dish. They call it cytopathic effects when the cells start to break down. And he was basically admitting like these results are not conclusive, yeah. you know, more, more, more study would be needed. And then um, from what I understand from Dr. Cowan and others, he was eventually awarded uh, a Nobel prize for a different paper that he did later. And you know how it works once somebody gets a Nobel prize, Boy. people tend to just assume that while well, they're brilliant, they're geniuses, right? So you, there's no point in even questioning anything that they did. So yeah, yeah. but yeah, that was apparently where the cell culture business got started. Here's a great email to end on, Teresa. Patrick has talked about the newest thing is this lab leak uh, politically, so they can blame it on China and uh, go to war with them. I think this is what's going mm -hmm. on with the lab leak, but that's, that's another subject. Uh, does your guest know is she planning on to asking FOIA request to show me the lab leak virus? 
Oh, well, I mean, so the the FOIs, it's a good question. Um, so even if there was a lab leak virus or somebody thought there was might be a lab leak virus, they would have to do the same steps to to find it in people, right? It's it, whether they think it might be a, a man-made virus or whether it was uh, happened accidentally, naturally, or or someone released it. You would still need to do those same steps to to actually find it and verify that same it really is a virus. Same thing. Yeah. But in my understanding, that you just can't. If I understand correctly, you just couldn't. I don't know. Say if you made a virus in the lab. I mean, you couldn't release it in the air and people would breathe it in and then give it to somebody. Could you? I mean, it's not even possible, is it? The well, I mean, I guess, you know, in your imagination, anything is possible. <laughs> but see, they, they talk about, the, when they talk about gain of function, the whole idea there is that they had an actual naturally occurring virus, and then they tinkered with it to make it more dangerous, right? But they never had any of these viruses to start to out start with. with yeah. So that's one problem. It's yeah. like they're always dealing with soups and just doing silliness. And then secondly, they don't, um, some people say, well, you know, they could, they could create anything. Like they don't, even, they don't even need a natural virus to start out with. They can make whatever they want to make. But again, when you look in the papers, they don't actually do the steps that you would need to do to demonstrate that you actually created something that fits the definition of a virus. They just declare things in virology. And, you know, maybe they, they do some experiment, well, quote unquote experiments, but they're never properly controlled experiments. They're not valid experiments. So they, they're very good at giving the illusion and they have these wildly complex papers that look you know, so impressive, so complex. And you think these people must be so smart. Um, but if you, again, if you just drill down, whether it's, or whether it's a patent, whether it's a so-called gain of function study, mm -hmm. you have to drill down on the details. And then again, you just see like, this is, this is just silly. So, so, you know, if, if one day somebody shows actual science that there is something like this, fine. But we haven't seen it yeah. yet for any alleged virus. So in your understanding at this moment on the in March of 2023, do I hear you saying that um, it's never been proven that you could release something in the air and have it be a contagion? Is that correct? Correct, yeah. To my knowledge, I've never never seen anything which, lines, which is the no. whole deal. If it if you if it's not contagious, then you don't have an epidemic. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. The whole thing with the story of something that is contagious and it replicates. So Whoa. it's not even like there's a fixed amount because it just keeps growing and growing. And all you need is one little copy of it to get inside you, and you know you can end up sick. So uh, yeah, it's a very effective. Um, Mechanisms Steve, for controlling Steven people Spielberg and scaring can do people. That. Steven Spielberg can do that, but I don't think anybody else can. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree, Patrick. Well, you're really <laughs> delightful uh, to talk to, and I appreciate so much your your passion and energy for this. Good job. You really th thank thought, you. Thank this uh, thought this stuff through. So your website is fluoridefreepeel.ca, right? Correct. Yeah, that's right. And I'll just remind people, for anyone who doesn't, if they can't see it on the screen, fluoride is spelled F-L-U-O, because people often spell it F-L-O-U. Yeah, F-L-U-O. So yeah, it's on the screen yeah. here. You just can't see it on your thing, because we don't know what we're doing here. But it's fluoridefreepeel.ca, <laughs> Christine Massey. All right, my dear, thank you so much for being on the show. Really, good job. 
And uh, let us Thank know. Thank you, Patrick. Yeah, let us know if you you get some you get some isolator virus, so we can have you on. <laughs> I will let you'll be the first to I find out. I don't think I'll be happens. seeing you anytime soon. Thank you. Take care. <laughs> Thank Bye. you, Patrick. Okay. Bye. Christine Massey, Patrick Timpone. Oh, Christine, could you stay on? Oh, oh, I think she already plopped. That's all right. I'll email her. I wanted to talk to her about something. Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com. Pretty cool stuff, huh? Show me the virus to a whole nother level. All right, kids. Uh, thank you for your ongoing support. I appreciate it. Uh, we've been getting some very nice donations in for a little cash flow phenomenon we got going on here. It's always something on, on, on the earth plane, right? Yeah. If you just tuned in, we, uh, over the last three, four months, we, our sales in products, and that's how we make our money. It just really cratered. And so we're having to raise a little money. Our listenership is up and actually has gone up a bit, even with all the crazy stuff I talk about, but sales. So people are probably, I don't know, I don't want to conjecture why that is, because I like to take, I not like, but I do take responsibility for my experience. And so I created this cash flow thing. Whatever it is, it's mine. So I got to figure out a creative way to get out of it pretty quickly here so we can, you know, so we can whatever. So if you care to join our little cash uh, raise event, it's on the front page of One Radio Network. You can click on that puppy and donate something if you like, and it'll keep us going for a couple months till we can figure out what's going on. Uh, show me the money, as Jerry Maguire said. So thank you. We've had three or four people donated this morning during this show. So I love you all very much. Thank you. We'll see you on Friday. Take the day off tomorrow. We do on Thursdays work on our screenwriting, and um, we'll see you on Friday. And that's just one-on-one, you and I talking. A bunch of stuff. Let me know if I can help. Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com. Thank you. May the blessings be. Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com.